This podcast is brought to you by the new term at fxphd.com. Hand in hand with FX Guide, our training site FXPHD allows you to do online training with the benefit of industry professionals to guide you. This new April term includes training in Nuke 7, Hero, Editing, Grading, Lens Tech and even Maths for VFX. Check it all out at fxphd.com. Welcome. You're listening to Red Centre, your weekly roundup of Red Camera News from the crew at fxguide.com. And welcome to our first ever Red Centre podcast. And I'm joined, as hopefully always, by Jason. How are you, mate? Good, mate. How are you going? So now, everyone... Well, not everybody. A lot of people that listen to the FX Guide podcast know me, but they won't know you. So let's get some of your background. And still don't. That, uh, Make it Yes, stop. that was, in fact, the Make first ever Red Centre podcast, uh, broadcast on the 2nd of April, 2008. Why, may you add, were we playing you episode from 120... Eight episodes ago. It's because this is the five-year anniversary of that initial podcast. Joining me still, hopefully, as always, <laughs> Jason Wingrove. How are you? Very lucky. I'm still here. Yes, indeed. Hello. Yes. yes. Oh, my God. That music. What were we thinking? Jesus. Uh, I don't know what we were thinking. Oh, yes. Dear. Welcome to the RC. Yes. Just as incomprehensible as ever. <laughs> And how long was that show, Mike? That show was, uh, and this is the best part about it, uh, dear listeners, because um, many of you know we've become slightly more disciplined since then, was in fact 37 minutes and 23 seconds long. Oh, a marathon effort. A marathon effort, yes. Um, and, uh, well, there wasn't much to talk about back then. It went then. up to 40 minutes. cave painting, <laughs> went some up papyrus to 40 scrolls by the second one. So there you go. Oh, dear. Um, yes. Oh, my God. That's very funny. A lot of water under the bridge since then, that's for sure. Uh, it is quite a lot, yes. Yeah, still, it continues. The hobby that got out of control. Yes. Still. It actually, it actually remained pretty consistent for the first year or so in terms of not getting very long. It got a lot longer. <laughs> it got a lot longer later as well, we it went did on. Get, yeah, certainly got more stuff to talk about. We, we had this discussion, actually, dear listener, about the length of the RC. I was pointing out that... Um, I think my example was the Clash uh, album Sandinista, which was, uh, I think, should be revered as an all-out landmark. Unfortunately, the guys took it to three actual albums in one. Otherwise, instead of a double disc, it was a triple. As a consequence, they were ridiculed for becoming what they had despised, which was um, self-indulgent rock stars. And uh, Sandinista, while still you know, considered by many a spectacularly good album, uh, is one that is in need of an edit. So I have suggested to Jason that we should try and limit the podcast to only two hours. However, Jason, you said, why not? Just longer. Yeah, well, no one really cares. No one's ever complained about the length. Yes, so anyway. As they say. So because you've not complained. It's certainly not going to be a short one today. No, you will be getting a longer podcast. I don't think. I mean, I was just trying to glance at our record. I think our record was actually two hours and 30. No, two, yeah, two, two hours 30 basically. Two and a half hours. We're not going to go that long today. I swear to God, we're no, not. No, probably had a few interviews in there, which we do not today. No. This but, week on you the know, we have a few <laughs> angles on NAB to discuss. Yes, I was going to say, this is our post-NAB podcast. You heard our pre-NAB podcast, which was uh, the last one, 127, where we talked about our unicorn camera, our, um, uh, our perfect camera. Did we get our perfect camera? No. Okay. <laughs> but we no. did get some new cameras. <laughs> Didn't think... Didn't think we would. Well, we kind of, we maybe glimpsed one. Well, I don't know, hard to tell. There's, there's, there's uh, light at the end of the, the unicorn tunnel, maybe. 
Well, coming up later in the show, we'll be uh, covering things such as possible unicorn cameras. I think you're referring to the Sony. Yeah, I guess so. Um, Point and film uh, cameras from Blackmagic, as well as some incredibly cool uh, vans and that Moby uh, camera rig, which I know Jason is trying to build one of himself (laughs) in his backyard as we speak. (laughs) All of that coming up uh, in the RC show as we run down from NAB. Jason, we didn't get you in the car on the way back from Vegas, so you weren't part of our RC podcast. No, yes, anyone who doesn't follow necessarily, foolishly doesn't follow FX Guide, but follows this show only, uh, traditionally do the uh, kind of wrap-up what's uh, new at the zoo kind of uh, podcast app on the drive back from uh, Vegas to LA. You guys were going back a little bit earlier than normal. I needed, I still needed, there was still plenty of show left to uh, left to see, so I hung around for another day, but you guys recorded that app. Yes, yes, and uh, I should point out that um, uh, we will probably cover some, not all, but some of the same ground. Um, yeah because some of the same topics I'm sure will come up. The other thing I wanted to flag is that while this is, in fact, episode 128 to be literal, uh, there was an RC in the live feed from NAB on FX Guide. So if you wanted to see Jason in person, uh, as it were, or up close and personal, uh, if you go over to FX Guide, we actually have that live six-hour thing cut up now and available for download in chunks. So um, at FX Guide, there's a link to the live section, which you can get to by just typing fxguide.com slash nablive. Is the RC a chunk? Uh, well, it sort of is. Um, okay. It cuts to the RC live at 1 hour, 10 minutes and 20 seconds into part 1, and it finishes in part 2. Though, okay. interestingly, in, I'm going to say part 3, part 2, part 3, there's the uh, coverage of the... Um, Magic Camera, which wasn't actually part of our show, it came up later, which you, of course, were part of that interview. Right, yes. Um, we just uh, had so many things happening in the RC Live event, including uh, the Freefly movie, but also stuff yes. like um, Bulletproof, which is a new product from uh, our friends at Red Giant. Mm-hmm. It was good seeing Stu there. Yeah, the terrific. Show. Always great to see Stu. Um, yeah, it's always pretty hard to really catch up in between time so and San Francisco is a bit sort of obviously always go through LA but he doesn't live there so you know it's always hard to catch up at any other time and really really hard to catch up with anybody really at uh, at NAB it's just such a freaking assault a sort of sucker punch to the brain of, of um, gear and physical endurance and Absolutely. And feet and <laughs> time zones. It is, it is extremely tiring. Alcohol. And we touched on Stu's thing there, so let's just give it a quick plug while we can. It's called Bulletproof. This is a, um app that runs, uh, that allows you to copy cards from, um, say, uh, like your, your SD cards to your hard drive. It does a bunch of stuff. It imports them, but it also organizes them, allows you to review them, um, check them out, and even export them. Yeah, it's kind of like Grinder. Well, Grinder on steroids, I think it has been compared to, which I think is pretty pretty fair. It's you know import, organizing, export, and then you can put a bit of a look on things and export things a few different ways and do proxies and, and yeah. uh, now, manage was, stuff. The reason I mentioned it is because, um, and I didn't know who was going to go there, in that live uh, conversation, Stu pointed out that with the other stuff at uh, Red Giant, in particular mm. the uh, pluralized software, that maybe down the track you could see pluralized merging in Right. With this, so you'd be able to sync your files as part of um, that import process, which has sounded pretty interesting. To yeah, 
So the beta is, uh, I think you can, something you can sign up for at the moment at redgiantsoftware.com and you can uh, yeah, put your name down. Stu so only hinted at that, by the way, and I'm not committing Red Giant to that. No, sure. um, but yeah, it sounded really interesting. So there's obviously um, plans for it to be developed further down the line. And, and you know, it's, uh, it's a good tool. I've got to say, one of the big things for me is I split off my video files from my stills, which tend to go into Lightroom. Right. But I do like that Red Giant has software that allows you to grade something in looks in uh, Lightroom, but then take that same grade over and apply it in, say, uh, uh, video form. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, is exactly what I do. I always take stills of what I'm filming. And just combining, and we'll touch on this with uh, a couple of other things we saw at the show, but uh, anytime you can kind of combine things into one sim- into one app or make it a simple click from one kind of department, so to speak, to another, it's always great. Yeah. Now, there's something else that's been requested because it didn't get done. Um, your gear rundown that we spoke about. Oh, yes. Not that we didn't do it. We kind it's, of we just we haven't did had a chance to it as we were it. packing the bags and running out the door. Really, yeah. So it's up now. No, it's not. It okay. should be up very soon. Now, I just wanted to say that we apologise about that happening. We just couldn't get done before NAB, and then NAB is wall to wall, and um, because it yeah. wasn't quite as news centric as some of the other stuff that we were doing, it didn't um, um, you know get done. But we we are very conscious that I mean I get emails about it and tweets about it, so we're not going to not do it because it's, yep. it's done. It just has to be edited and uh, and posted, and we'll do that probably by the time you can hear this. Cool. Excellent. Uh, but, yeah, my apologies for not having that up. I should learn a lesson and not mention things until they're ready to go. Right. So, so, highlight of the show for you? Oh, gosh. Well, I think... Well, I'm torn between the movie and, uh, weirdly enough, yeah, the biggest thing of the show probably was the smallest thing, the, uh, the Black, Black Magic, Magic Pocket camera i think i'm gonna be just because it you know it just signals so much progress and i was just thinking the other day that it's probably uh as if you think about sort of the beginning of the sort of digital imaging kind of thing where we had like f9 900s and stuff doing episode one it probably has better image quality than that same size sensor like two-thirds like 16 mil size sensor uh it probably if you pull one of those out of the box now, it probably would shit all over an F900. And it, this is seriously like 900... 13 stops dynamic range, right? Yeah, same same stop dynamic range as the uh, micro four thirds, as the uh, four thirds, as the original camera, I think. Original Blackmagic camera. Here's yeah. the thing. I, I, I asked the guys in the car about this. Both Jace, uh, both um, Jeff and John placed orders for this mm-hmm. on B&H. What about you? Look, I can see myself using it. I probably will buy one when I have a use for it. I probably would use it as, as a, uh, I guess, a kind of rig or little third unit time lapse camera or a, um, yeah, sort of a GoPro that I know I'm going to be able to probably have a better chance of editing into a camera footage. I'd say. My problem with it is this. I think it's great. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I think it's going to be hugely successful oh, for Blackmagic. It's massive and it's brilliantly done. But there's a couple of things that uh, were stopping me. Firstly, I just don't have those lenses. Um, so mm. that's kind of a bit yeah. of a thing to hold me back a little. Same. I just invest, I've just bought five or six of another completely different design. They actually, the Samsung, the NX range. I've got four right. or five of those now, unfortunately. But uh, Well, the other problem for me is that it doesn't take stills. So I think I'm still going to end up wanting to take my... Canon 5D to take stills yeah, and then the effort to take a second camera when I know I can get 
nice 1920 by 1080 out of that 5D. I think this camera is going to be hugely successful for Blackmagic. I think it's awesome that instead of Blackmagic shying away from cameras and saying, oh my God, that first one was so hard, we're not going to make any more. They announced not one but two cameras at the show. Yeah, which I think the little one's kind of eating the production cameras lunch in a bit. Really, it kind of didn't really get much of a well, get much that, of a mention considering it is actually four K for four K, which is kind of what we've you know has been a bit of a. But I, I honestly think that's a reaction to what we were talking about last time on the show, which is if it isn't shipping within ninety days, yeah. people are just so gun shy. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of which... When is that one shipping? I don't remember that one. Uh, like, I think it's the end of the summer kind of number. It's one of those, you know... Don't you start. I know. Well, summer. American summer. Yeah. Um, I think it's shipping in about our spring. <laughs> How's that? Hey, but no, I've got a question for you. Third quarter. What was your reaction to Red's uh, Dragon... I'm going to say announcement? Uh, well, yeah, it wasn't too, wasn't too bad. Uh, I think. Okay, what? let me let me run this scenario for you. Okay. You turn up at NAB, and there is no quote clean room, and they yeah. simply say, "Dragon sensor not shipping yet, but will real soon." Yeah, we're just like, uh, yeah, that's true. I guess everyone's just going to go. Because that's effectively oh. what they did. Yeah, because they they weren't for for the They're still not. No one actually has, has one a, of these cameras. Exactly. Right. So even though there was a quote clean room there, yeah, friends and family and some pre-production cameras doing physically, I think physically and mechanically, as far to my understanding and what we've heard from and Ted and everyone, the cameras are, the camera and, and the physics of it is 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 down pat and it's sorted and that was what they were building. The um, the color science is still being is still being nutted out, still being locked down. Uh, they're still yet to try and work out what the base ISO of the camera is, although we okay, kind but, of have ballparks. But, but let me just be so all because, of that's still being quite... N- but you're splitting hairs in one sense. I'm going to say they're not shipping Dragon. Yeah, there were sure, no Dragon sensors. No, were there Dragon absolutely. sensors all over uh, look, the booth I'm, that you could look at? I agree. It's it's still... Were there 4K screens up showing lots of Dragon yeah. footage? It might as well have just had a... What would have been terrific is... Did you go into the booth? You could have dropped your camera off in the morning and pick it up, up in the, the afternoon. afternoon. Yeah, That would have been awesome. But, but then you... there would have been an absolute bun fight and, oh, we, but, but I, but I don't remember I was there. Oh, I nah, should be. still would have been good. You know, that would be a complete rush. People rushing through the hall there with, with thousands of the dollars theater, with the cameras and smashing into each other and having fist fights. Did you go into the theatre? No, I didn't. Right. So here's my point. I think Red were... I saw some of the stuff projected out. I saw some of the monitors outside and yeah. sat there and watched a lot of... And that was like stunning. Stunning so, stuff. So it was stunning, but my point is, the projector, yep, absent. Yep, the Red Dragon still not shipping. Yes. I, I don't care that it's almost shipping. Yes, because I have to say that unless they actually ship now, yes, that we don't need any more subdivision subdivision of the gap <laughs> between me and yes, me and the other shipping. guy. We, we don't want, need another class system, us and them. Well, no, we have a class system because I've placed my deposit for. For the upgrade, but other than taking deposits, there are no actually dragon shipping. Yes. Well, that's kind of. No one's. I know a few people have had their emails, but I don't know. I've had my email. Actually sent their, hmm? I've had my email. I've right. gone online. Yep. I did all the things. Yep. For those of you that don't know, it's 9,500 to upgrade to a dragon sensor. Yes. But it's 8,500 if you were one of the early adopters that got in by the Wednesday night of NAB. Yeah, I'm sure. Look, if you're an early adopter, they you probably they probably know you, and there's probably a wriggle room. So preference going to those that have uh, either an early um, red one camera, 
or got a M version of the Epic. Which you do. We ticked on both boxes. And both, yes. And I think that the Dragon sensor is going to be awesome for its dynamic range. Yes. I'm just disappointed for Red that they're still not shipping it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing that down... I mean, say it's, say it's a couple of weeks away. Say it's a few weeks away. It's amazing that that couldn't all be happened. Couldn't but, have all happened. is it a couple of weeks? Well, I don't know. I'm just guessing. Say, say it is. It could be a month. It's a pity that that couldn't be, with all the years of lead-up, that that couldn't actually be synced with NAB, given that that's always been the announcement time. That's always been when it's launched. That would have been a great time to actually be shipping. But, look, it was definitely better to have the whole clean room perception thing going on. But I think people, you know, at the end of the day, people still, you know, want to want to have it. I think, I think what was good was to start seeing prices for things. Start seeing a price for the uh, Red Rocket Pro. Is it Red, Pro, Red Rocket Pro or X or whatever? And find out how much uh, we do or don't need the rocket. The rocket two, you mean? Rocket two. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yep. I should know, but I don't. I haven't ordered one of those. Did you order one of those? Uh, well, I came down like this. I said, I absolutely think a dragon sensor is a great idea because it gives you increased dynamic range. Yes. Um, people don't want to be fussing with HDRX, and so it's mm. heavily discounted. And it's never, that dream has never been fully realized. And DRPs don't want to risk a post-processing solution, especially when it involves um, some kind of optical flow to adjust to bring into line. Yeah. And they don't want the look of tone mapping. So yep. all of that meant that HDR just it wasn't adopted so i went yes on the dragon sensor but yeah. most of my workflow with dragon is not a workflow that's going to require a 6k output yeah. i have a lot of stuff i want to shoot on dragon that's going to end up at 1920 by 1080 which i've got to you tell still you still want to transcode from 6k out to hd i would be happy also doing 4k jace i would happy sure. doing 6k and 5k and 4k and the reason i'd go to 6k is probably more field of view than it yeah. is um, anything That's else. my thing. But you're still going to want to crunch those numbers. It's still a lot, a lot more data. So I think we'll just go ahead, just just do it with, uh, you know, crunch it overnight and do it with the uh, existing rocket. And Well, my current favorite thing to do is to use the red rocket card, which we already have when we need to. But also, um, I'm hanging off because we've got a real-time workflow using Premiere when going for a 1080 pipeline um, uh, timeline output. So in other words, we're biasing our Premiere timeline to weight it towards the output, not to base it to the input. As yep. a consequence, we're effectively editing at 1920 by 1080, but we're yep. getting the downrising happening through Adobe stuff, and that's without a Red Rocket card. So that's the yeah. workflow I like. Right. I don't think... It's like six, six and a half craig, I think, $1,000? Anyway. Yeah, a lot. It's a lot of money. Yeah. And for that kind of money, I can get six... Am I not mistaken? <laughs> Black magic cameras that will shoot HD? Yes. Um, yeah. So for me, it was a yes on the um, Dragon and a no on a Red Rocket 2, even though the Red yeah. Rocket 2 is like, the Red Rocket 1 is like five years old. Yeah. And, well, and then some. Five years old? Yeah. Probably, yeah. Didn't predate this podcast, did it? No. <laughs> or the Red 1. So yeah, probably about five years. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably my plan. I probably will do, I'll do Dragon. But uh, not, now I, not I might change my mind on the um, on the other, but um, yeah, that's where I'm at at the moment. Yeah, again, I, dynamic range, terrific. 
Um, the ability to shoot 6K if you want, but then to bump down in increments, sometimes even better than maybe changing a lens. If you want like a half a lens change, you can go from 6K to 5.5K or then to 5K or to 4, you know, 4.5, et cetera, et cetera. You can do these increments and still be insane resolution. And I mean, if I'm shooting somebody, data. let's say I was shooting somebody for an interview in a natural lighting situation, mm. I would want the um, absolute... Uh, dynamic range that I'm going to get from that dragon probably not going to hurt me if I'm shooting 4K. I mean, it's not going to you know, it's not like I'm desperate yeah. for a super shallow depth of field on an interview where someone's going to be sitting forward or backwards. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. I mean, depth of field doesn't change. It's really just a, a wider field of view of that same depth I, of field. So I think it, I'm sorry, yes, it's just right. a different, different look. I know, I know. I think it's a, definitely a field of view thing. It's going to look a lot nicer. It's 1 to 1, 1.8 crop or 1.14 I think versus um, versus uh, 1.5 I think I've got to say so it's a reasonable it's a reasonable change Better it's dynamic. a field of view change reasonably but big but it's a dynamic change and the dynamic change I think I'll, I'll lust after more than anything else yeah hey um, the other thing that was uh, and I think to do 100 frames at 6k is pretty impressive not have to even I don't know what the frame rate's going to be like at 5k because then you're actually gonna, probably going to be going, able to go Faster in 5K, if you can do 100 frames in 6K, then you theoretically should be able to be go faster in 5K than you currently can anyway. Yeah. Hey, um, the other thing that I... Uh, the two trends that we picked up on that we touched on in the um, the uh, FX podcast, which I just want to flag to you. Firstly, did you not notice a complete... Not a complete, but a solid... Um, absence of 3d like that wasn't I did not, stereo i was everywhere. going to bring this up with you because i did not see one i did not see one stereo rig on the entire floor i can't remember seeing one do you remember last year i think that whole that the whole massive reality outdoor what was that last year sports thing with yep. 3d rigs and cranes and every amount of rig whatsoever that that was completely absent i mean that was a big build for them and things have obviously yeah, changed there a bit but i couldn't i can't See, I couldn't remember seeing one single s- stereo rig for sale. And one then the other thing that, um, in its place, I saw quite a lot of interest in, though nowhere near as much as we saw in the animal in the um, stereo thing, was anamorphic. Yeah, anamorphics were uh, uh, launched, and or we saw ones that some the Zeiss, for instance, which was announced last year. We actually saw those in the flesh, and uh, probably. Talk about those. You want to talk about those now? Well, I would actually. I think it'd be really interesting to get our opinions on the animorphics because, apart from anything else, you actually shot, being I think one of the first directors in the world, um, some tests with the Cook anamorphics. Yeah, we had a good play with it. You can probably, you've probably spent a little bit more time with Les on those lenses. I'll, I'll definitely let you talk about those as well. I def, I had a uh, play on the stand and saw the reel of the Zeiss anamorphics as well and uh so lead off with the zeiss that's a much sadder story than the uh than the cooks if you ask me uh i don't know not know what's up with these lenses that is the weirdest bokeh i've ever seen I mean, not that classic beautiful ovalized thing that looks like there's something in the way it looks like they've left a piece of gaffer the, the, all the lenses i played would look like someone's left a piece of gaffer tape inside the internal <laughs> internals of the lens Strange, strange. Like there was a top flag, top chopping the top chopping the bokeh. It was very, very odd. Um, I don't know. Just what didn't out of focus stuff didn't look fantastic. It was pretty hard to get streaks happening. They didn't really look like they got terribly. I mean, the, outstandingly sharp, outstandingly sharp. 
Uh, Too and sure? hmm? Too sure? No, not necessarily. I mean, it's always nice. You can always defocus stuff, take the edge off if you want to. It's better to have a super sharp starting point, I guess. I think I when, think when they're just too to... clean, too... There's, well, no, okay, there's but... not enough character. The, the, it was hard to get them to streak. The bokeh was really weird. Minimal focuses were really nice. We knew that would be the case. Uh, sharp, we knew that would be the case. But I don't know. Pretty characterless and very, again, very odd bokeh, which is something that uh, you're after. You're after. Um, I think it. I think it's to do with. I didn't really study the front of the lenses, but I'm imagining they're putting the anamorphoser in the middle, or some of them might even be rear rear anamorphics. But I didn't. I don't. There's none of that classic front completely no no front anamorphic element which is where you really catch all the flares and where you really grab all the light it's pretty hard to get them to uh get them to flare up and again i think the bokeh is odd i I don't know what's going to happen with these lenses i can't see anybody who knows their anamorphics really loving these or buying a set i'm sorry zeiss stroke ari but uh i i think i think it's a complete misstep complete balls up i i'm I'd love to see who's ever going to buy a set of these. And I mean, they're all the set, all the lenses. Most of the lenses were there. The sets are available to be ordered. But uh, I don't know who's going to do that. So, by contrast, the Cook approach was to not make them as mathematically perfect as they could. Is yeah. to have them with some character. The reason I said too sharp is you could argue that some of the Cook look is by a kind of a. Uh, slight adjustment between where the sharpness is most and its contrast is most um, mm. maxed out. Yes, definitely less contrasty. Definitely nicer. But I've got to say, you and, I, you and I walked over on the Sunday before the show opened and there was a 40 cook up on our camera and we were just standing waiting to talk to the guys on the booth and yeah. right out of the gate we both looked over at a monitor that was showing it and went, oh, that looks good. Yeah, and, and they're really compact. Really quite small, you know, very, very compact. Uh, yeah, again, they, they did have a lot more character. I don't think that they're necessarily doing front anamorphic element, though. That's maybe in the middle. I'm not quite sure, but it's um, uh, very compact, very compact lenses. Uh, again, cl- close focus is really sorted. Everyone seems to have got that, got that worked out. Uh, yeah, very nice, very nice. Quite a light lens, not too heavy. You shot Elvis on it? We went down. That's one of the many Elvises down there. They're, yeah, with the head down to what else can you do? You go down to Bellagio Fountains. Plenty of good people. Plenty of faces. And uh, I mean, literally a, a very quick unscientific uh, muck around. Oh yeah, and it wasn't but, a, it um, wasn't a lens test. Yeah, yeah. I'm just mucking around with the forty, which is a really lovely size in anamorphics. You but you were one of the lot only lot. people in the world that had actually taken one out into the streets. Yes, in fact, it was you. the first time it had ever been taken out into the streets anywhere in the world. What? Um, do you know much about their other the other sizes they're making and or when they're Look, I don't know ship? the full range, but you're right. The 40 was the one they had on show, and um, there were actually two 40s in existence at, uh, at NAB. And um, I've got to say, for me personally, the, the concern is that uh, that wasn't a final lens and they're going to have to do a bit more stuff because they weren't quite comfortable with where they were at with a couple of the specs. But I don't want an anamorphic to be too perfect. I want it to be good in some respects i want it to to be very vertically aligned and but i don't want a image that unless you really pay attention just looks like you've uh cropped a five or six k into yeah i definitely got that feeling watching the uh maybe by now or if you maybe try and search for the uh 
the Zeiss anamorphic demo reel. It's all this sort of French and sort of models in in underwear jumping on mopeds and 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 <laughs> being cute and giggly and ch- racing around Paris. Uh, but uh, yeah, maybe maybe I'm I'm not alone. Have a look at it. I just felt it completely. Like as you say, could well have been, could have been. I, I often wasn't sure if I was actually looking at anamorphics. You know, it just did not have that, did not have that character. Uh, the so Cook are doing twenty five, thirty two, forty, fifty, seventy five, a hundred and one, three five, all two times squeeze, and all two three two point three uh, aperture. Interestingly, you can get better out of focus stuff with those two three lenses from Cook than you can with the faster one nines. I think they are from 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 Zeiss. I don't mean to shit on them, but I don't know. It's a golden opportunity to do something. No, no, nobody, most people are choosing anamorphic because they want optical character because they want a little bit of a, a hark to the to the past. They want a little bit of a. I mean, you're doing it for the whole completely different compression i guess completely different kind of framing style but i don't know people want to have character in their anamorphics i I, that's my belief anyway you want sharpness but you want to have some something interesting and otherwise you just as you say go and get get shoot shoot spherical and crop it down seriously now they're not the only two companies that are in the game because we also had um, a bit of a collaboration between cook and ingenue to produce zoom anamorphic lenses Yes. Uh, again, I'm not sure how they're constructing these, but they are certainly adapting a lot of their existing glass. So I'm um, presuming perhaps rear anamorphics to do it, but uh, they're making their way through all their small light um, uh, ingenue zooms. So there's the 56 to 152 mil anamorphic zoom with two times squeeze. Yep. That's um, T4, I'm going to say. And it's only 2.2 kilos. So again, it's a pretty lightweight lens, um, which is good. Yeah, um, and uh, definitely choices. What I'm still missing, uh, what I'd love to see, is the um, the rockin' on raw anamorphics or the small two, three grand a pop kind of put them all in the backpack yeah. anamorphics, which is probably wishing for even more than uh, a unicorn camera. Yeah, I must admit, if you came out with a set of um, well, the compact primes of of, of yeah. anamorphic lenses, you had I a guess. bunch of uh, anamorphics that were down in the kind of uh, zone that you could use if yeah. you were yeah five ish or so yeah. grand a pop or thereabouts not not fifty five grand a pop yeah I mean what about that focal range set that you mentioned before I mean do you think that you've got enough is is twenty oh huge range yeah massive especially when you go up to the the, the tight end you 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 don't use the tight end so much but uh, I mean really you could probably do a whole a whole project on just literally three or four. Yeah, you know, like a thirty-two. So I'm right in saying 50, that the twenty-five 75. is actually twenty-five, top to bottom. Yes. So and it's it twelve becomes, and a half. Yeah. Twelve-ish. So, twelve-ish field of view. Because when I first right. mentioned the twenty-five, I went, "Oh, why aren't you going wider than a twenty-five? And then I went, "Hang on a second, it's anamorphic, so it's a yeah, twelve mil." Exactly. Yeah. So, so and at a twelve mil, that's pretty done. Good. Twelve field of view left to right. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, so you know, one th- one three five is 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 a one three five top to bottom, but you're getting like seventy five mil field of view. So there's, you know, there is. I guess there is need for a range, but uh, that is a lot. That, that that's a, that's a lot. That's a lot of work to get all those lenses out. And uh, yeah, the bokeh again was much nicer, and I'd love to see some of the. We only really got a chance to grab the forty, but I would have loved to uh, see some of the other. I'd love to see some of the other ones. 
Well, I've got to say, I'm in, I'm in love with the Cook um, optics. I think the the 40 mil anamorphic is just a cracker of a lens. Mm. And I've got to say, like the, as I said, the test for me is whenever you put a lens on, or you suddenly see something, and your first reaction is, "Oh my god, that looks good." Mm. And uh, I mean, I shouldn't speak for you, but when we when we were standing there and we just turned around, and there was a 40 on a on a camera up on a monitor, my first instinct was just, "That looks really good," and I stepped straight towards it, like yep, pointing at it. It's just a boring. Show, Part show of floor. Show floor, yeah, on a Sunday unlit. And it just looked so wonderful. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Cook's on a huge winner. Now, I didn't get to play with the Ingenue, so I look forward to uh, seeing what's going on there. Yeah, I'd I'd love to... Uh, another reason, I think, for the Dragon, uh, the larger sensor for 6K, is you're getting close to that... Uh, top bottom height of academy you're getting close to the same sensor height as the alexa 4.3 well of course this is what ari's big push was this year we haven't talked much about ari but the alexa's big push no, on the booth ari was, was sort of a bit quiet you know they had a few little things mainly the you know the lenses on the booth and the that uh newer fo- focus controller i was talking i talked about a couple of eps ago and uh yeah pretty much that was about well i mean they were showing the you know the codex the xt or whatever it is the codex modded the upgraded uh, Alexa bodies, but apart from that, very um, uh, business as usual. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are quite a lot of Alexa models now, but when you go Too to many. the... <laughs> there's six, right, in the product line? Something like that. Someone ran me through them and I went, okay, yep, stopping you there. I'm kind of glazing over. Yes. One What's thing I was hoping to see, which we didn't see, which is uh, the Panavision 65 prototype i was hoping that would be a bit further along and people might have someone might have had that body on the floor i certainly didn't see it if it was in the back room somewhere let me know but i didn't see the uh, panavision 65 i want to get uh, your opinion prototype. on on one thing the alexa now has a codex that can be built in yeah and the epic now has a um proxy, mod- proxy module that can be built in yes so um apart from the 4k obviously 2k or 2.5k um, but from a recording point of view, do you think there's an equivalency? In other words, you can record RAW on an Alexa now and you can record mm. uh, non-RAW effectively on the... Because um, interesting, Red came out and said no one should use the proxy for anything. Well, I think that's the mindset really, isn't it? That that this is the quick and easy... Uh, uh, try telling that to all the people that use an Alexa with their onboard... Yeah, well, with the, with the ProRes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and successfully you know go to air with that stuff like the next day. I think it's it's an answer to the slow post workflow of getting footage to editorial really quickly. Um, uh, so I don't know if Red's necessarily pushing it as a. I don't think they're pushing it as the delivery, you know, as the delivery. Oh, Red is delivery no, medium, but maybe not. maybe it'll evolve. So, well, are you tempted at all to get a um, proxy module? Uh, not, not really. Um, I like I like the idea of it. I'm glad that it's there. I think maybe it's something that you rent if you know you've got a really quick turnaround time and you you know you, you're going to shoot 6K. I guess it's all the more tempting when you're shooting 6K and you've got uh, if you want to try to get uh, footage turned around and ingested and you want to start editing that night or the next morning. Uh, and obviously, you know, you basically you the idea is you just archive your 6K rushes. You're not trying to convert them to anything. 6K just purely stays as uh, purely stays as a um, as your as your negative. Put it on a drive, keep it. 
take the uh, the mini SSD out of the proxy, uh, cut with it, play with it, and obviously the the files are going to be you know exactly the same. File naming the file naming kind of structure is going to be the same between the the the, the proxy module, of course, because the proxies. And then you just make it up. And the next time you see your six K rushes is when you're in. Uh, you know, when you're in, in, in your grading suite, I guess, or you're in online. So it kind of makes sense. I don't know why, why, why can't they put the proxy file, I, obviously it must be a hardware thing, why they can't put the proxy files on the same card. Why does it have to be, it has to be another little mini, They so they announced yeah. a proxy module, Along with that, they announced the mini SSD. So a little sort of much smaller version. It's kind of like a little size of an S by S card. A whole new thing of media to buy. They're not overly expensive, like three, five, up to about $1,000 for the 256 gigabyte mini SSD. Then you're going to have another reader. You know, it's it's a lot. It's a lot of a lot of hardware. I'm not sure how much the reader is, but it's probably you know two or three or four hundred bucks. And then, and then say you want three 256 or a couple of 256 uh, uh, SSDs, that's two grand, plus the proxy module itself is another four or five grand. It would would have been great, uh, and maybe 6K is absolutely maxing out the internal SSDs. Maybe there is no room to be able to crunch it, but it would have been great if the the SSD uh, proxies could have been put on the main SSD and not have to have the extra hardware, not have to have the extra expense of, of mini SSDs, yeah? Hmm. Then hey, you think, and then everything's all on one thing, and then when you're copying it, you're archiving one thing, and, and you're not having to have two readers and two power supplies for two readers and two cables and two, you know, st- it's 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 kind of nuts, really. But, uh, I mean, if you look at, I suppose that's exactly what, what um, actually, if you look at Alexa, it's they're putting everything onto the codex. There is no the codex replaces the S by S slots, so it's everything's being done down to a single piece of media. Um, so I don't know. So one of the things we talked about at the pre AB thing, I think, was the absence of the red uh, wireless stuff. And yeah, we did get a whole bunch of red link stuff, but we did they, we saw the resurgence, the revisiting of the of the red trans two two transmitters a uh, low low. Um, they're actually now branded with their um, uh, with their distances, I guess. One's like 90, 90 feet, and the other one's like I don't know, I can't remember what it was twelve hundred, nine hundred feet, something you know, something quite big. So there's a small. There's we we saw the return of the small HDMI kind of based transmitter and receiver again, and the larger SDI. Everyone's using the same sort of board set, so everybody, Paralinks, um, Switchonics, everybody's kind of reusing these same two kind of board sets. Um, some some are doing um, sort of their own kind of reworkings of them, but basically they're all kind of using the similar technology. I don't think there was any... Pr- I don't see any pricing or any availability again for the red, red wireless stuff. Um... No, no, there is uh, there is pricing and availability for those two. Stuff. Yeah, okay, might have been so, in the store, but I, I guess I've got the blinkers on because I kind of have already um, uh, I already own stuff. Okay, so Redlink Video Receiver is shipping in two or three weeks, and it's three thousand four hundred. The video receiver is uh, the HDMI is uh, one thousand one hundred. Yeah, so it's quite com- competitive, and uh, it should be shipping within two to three weeks. And then the Red Sync Master 
is 2,900 and shipping within two to three weeks. Oh, yes, a Red Sync Master. So that's mainly more handling um, time codes and... Um does it, is it, I don't know, maybe it's me. I just, it feels like spending 3000 on something like the Red Sync Master. Like, I'm not saying that it's not worth it. It's just, like, every one of these things is like three grand. And, like, three grand used to be totally acceptable, but now three grand is a lot of money. Yeah, this is, I mean, you know, this is to, to work with the Meisler module, which is already reasonably expensive. This is to link, this is to transmit uh, time code and uh, audio to the uh, your Meisler equipped cameras on set. So, look, by the time you're, this is probably part of a big, bigger, uh, high-end ecosystem that you, you know, big rental thing. So this is really not not a lot of people are going to invest in the whole Meisler thing. As beautiful and as impressive as it all is, and how well it all works together, there was a uh, very nice demo. I don't know if you saw that, Mike, the demo of the iPad app that was all linking through. Because the Meisler is one of the few things that is actually Wi-Fi, proper Wi-Fi, not Red Link in inverted commas. Okay. So uh, the iPad app was working really well, was very clever, was um, uh, you could do sort of grades and set looks and send looks to the camera and uh, and control multiple cameras and all that, all that sort of stuff. Seemed to be working quite well. It wasn't work, wasn't working wirelessly there at the, at the at the show because it's such a Wi-Fi soup that uh, you know, <laughs> it could, is really couldn't fun. couldn't couldn't be worked. But um, yeah, I think if you're in that high end. There's a lot of choices if you're in that high end, and if you're in for a penny, in for a pound, three grand or so for a, um, uh, for the whole, you know, for just for that little part doesn't really matter. Okay, so Red also bought Element Get the whole Technica collection or, of all that stuff, Meisler and everything for about twenty-two grand. So, so Red also bought um, Element Technica, which is going to become basically part of Red's um, accessory um, kit, which is of interest. But the thing that was more interesting to me was right beside it, which was this new shutter. Yes, the motion. Now you had a good look at that, right? Shot. Yeah, I had a good look. Uh, did you get a demo of that, Mike? I know with the an, uh, an strobe light to... thing. Yeah, strobe light and a CRT mm. uh, and a spinning, you know, a spinning wheel like the classic kind of. Was it a wheel or was it a? It looked like a, a red logo to me. With it was a red place. logo, but it was just demonstrating the whole kind mm. of um, uh, the sort of uh, what do you call it? The wagon wheel effect. Yeah, but what was the what was the piece of technology which ceased to be at the, at the rolling at the shutter, NAB? global shutter. The tessive, tessive time filter right. thing, the LCD thing. Yeah, so it was it was cl- clever um, for I think four or so, four and a half grand I think for the um, uh, for that mount, the ma- the motion mount. So in the FX podcast, yes. I made the point that if you go to a Dragon sensor, you get three things: you get six K. We've discussed that. Yes. Get better dynamic range. Discuss that. The other thing you get is it should be at least a stop or two faster. So your ISO is going to lift to, say, 2,000. Yes, 1,600, 2,000. 2000. Indeed. Put this uh, shutter on and use it, and you're going to be losing a whole stop. You lose a stop as the Take base. Take it back down. Base, yes. Uh, even if you're not using the variable ND part of it, you wind that all out. There's a base one-stop loss. Yeah. So uh, you're still ahead of the game from a, from a standard epic you know, you're still mm. the dynamic range, and you're still, you're still ahead of the game from your original camera. But yeah, look, this is probably it's going to be an adjunct to your other to your other mounts. It's the same easy remove four bolts taken on and off. There's nothing nothing fancy with that. Uh, and uh, so, I think if you get stuck and you really need that extra stop, then uh, pull it off. So it's really hard to do the. You probably can't do. You can't do the uh, global shutter and or the variable ND and do and have that um, 
uh, and have the full the full ISO all in one. No, you can't have it all. It's a clever it's a clever idea. A lot of technology going on in there. A little bit expensive, maybe four and a half, five or so, whatever it is, grand for the mount. I like the very well indeed part of it and the fact that it's you know very granular and and, and infinitely variable. Um, I like the fact that you can then have like hot keys for like you know the one two three buttons on your side handle or so it can be one two three stops mm-hmm. more more I guess two three four stops lost up to I think something like eight stops I think it's two to eight stops or so uh, and 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 you know keep your lenses wide open and use it like you do a very ND one thing I mean it still works right I mean huh? this is like the thing yeah. about this is it does work this really is well. not, and the global yeah. shutter thing you know if you're shooting lots of flashes or muzzle flash or yep. um, Especially muzzle flash. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it's then it's terrific. And you're gonna gonna want it again. Maybe it's a rental item. Yeah, depending on what you're shooting. So and there is going to be an EF version of that coming. Probably, I imagine, for about the same amount of money. Yes, but, that's a good uh, point. The actually, technology yeah. is reasonably easily adaptable, even though they use the EF, the uh, EF focus, and the uh, ND part. Kind of use all the similar pins. They don't. They don't interfere. So we shot with Epix two years ago for FX Guide Live. This mm. year we were shooting with the Blackmagic cameras. Um, yeah. And it was a f- interesting move to hook up with Blackmagic this year because, as you said earlier, the Blackmagic guys really were delivering on cameras in a way we hadn't sort of anticipated. Um, you probably, I don't know how much you saw of the footage, but we were very pleased with the results we are getting from the Blackmagic camera um, on the live stream for people yeah. watching it we got a lot of compliments about how great that was and yet I wonder will next year we will be shooting with these $900 cameras um, yeah you could well I mean yeah I guess if you put a little, you just need a little couple of them need a little bit of well, actually you were probably putting primes on most of the time weren't you and just walking them in and just moving them around uh, yes and no or 24 to 70s or the thing that we well the thing we found I found uh, is that I'm so used to a 5D or an Epic that when I stuck a I don't know 17 mil on the um, Blackmagic camera. Ah, uh, yes. I expected big wide and got something closer <laughs> to a 35. A 35 or, yeah. yeah. So or I actually ended up sticking, or we ended up sticking an 8mm fisheye on the um, Blackmagic camera. So if you look at our footage, when you see these big wide shots with quite a lot of bow, it's because it's a crop in on a full fisheye, 180 degree lens, 8mm. Right. on a not very wide shot necessarily. On a shot Which, that shouldn't be necessarily distorting. I liked it as a look. Yeah. It was a fun look. Um, the 17mm we we tricked up with a fake anamorphic uh, flare, which was producing awesome results. Yeah, that was very clever. It so, good, actually. Yeah, that was a, uh, the you know 43-cent hack. But, boy, that was a good optical hack. I think um, it, it highlights the fact that this camera, that camera should have had a micro four-thirds mount all along suits the you know the the lens range the availability of that you know you can have a zoom little small zooms that are the right size that yeah. are the the you know, the equivalent of like the 24 to 70s for 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 super 35 or for full frame so all of the lenses are all down that end and and i think um that camera is probably the more sensible mount to to buy but i think you know next year we'll see if you look at it project it we've gone from micro four thirds and those have launched a full frame 
and then they've launched a 16 mil size, two thirds mm. inch, say, sensor for a pocket camera. So, judging by the way they accelerate and leapfrog, then next year, next NAB, you'll, you'll see, well, should be a full frame version, and they'll also should, should be a full frame and a Super 35, and you'll probably see like a Super 35 pocket camera as well. I would say. Yeah. If ever there was a case where I'd say you should invest in glass and not film backs and only use the film backs you need to make money off right this second, oh my God. It's depending on the, what mount you get though. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, can we discuss some other stuff? In particular, I want to discuss your um, Sony, uh, I think it was your Sony reference, when you made the comment that we actually may have seen a hint at a unicorn camera. Well, maybe it's a bit hard to tell. Very well, light, I didn't see it, so I'd specs. like to hear. Uh, so the two cameras they announced, well, they flagged at the... There's no names for these things, but there's two really cameras they showed. It really than... Mm-hmm. Like, it was like they flashed, right? They walked in and... Yeah, they did. It was the very the last end of the... Then. It was last end of the uh, of the press conference uh, and wheeled out this table with all this interesting glass and these two cameras on it and everyone rushed up to the front, took a few snaps and they said, okay, thanks very much and they wheeled it off really quickly and never did they appear again and they were not on the show floor. So there was one was more like a DSLR. Both of them had the ZFZ, uh, FZ, whatever it is, the, the, the large mount that they have on the back of the F55 and F3, etc. So they all had a reasonably uh, adaptable mount. So you're not stuck with PL, you're not stuck with uh, EF, you can you can change it. There's so many ZF, FZ, whatever it is, adapters are out there now to, to go from any which way you want. So it's a good way to stick. There's already a bit of an ecosystem out there for this. So both of them had these mounts, a DSLR, I guess a tall form factor DSLR, uh, and a, I guess you could call it, it was looked like a little sort of cross between an F, a Sony F3 and uh, an Epic, really. Um, two was, bodies, yeah, that was very one was very Epic-esque. modular. Hmm? That was very Epic-esque. That it was a bit Epic-esque. The, the, that form factor may not stick. I think the, the DSLR one's probably going to stay. Yeah. So I'm going to hope and wish perhaps that this DSLR being Sony will no doubt have an electronic viewfinder mm-hmm. uh, well no doubt all of these will be as they already told us will be 4K or Ultra HD I imagine 4K and have electronic viewfinders and I'm hoping one of them if not both of them might be full frame probably the DSLR is probably going to be full frame that's, that's, that's my guess and probably my wish and if it's got electronic viewfinder, it's actually probably quite usable as a DSLR. You know, put it right up. You're not, you're not hobbled by all the pain in the ass we've had with DSLRs in the past where you have to get an external viewfinder and then where do you mm. mount that? And you can't just literally pick it up and have those three points of contact, have your eye right up to the viewfinder and get away with shooting video in that simple form factor without a rig and without handles because you always have to hold it at arm's length because you're looking at the monitor on the back. So... I'm imagining both of these are going to do at least the XAVC codec, which is uh, shaping up to be a really good, uh, really good delivery method. Very well, lightweight had, with a lot of. You had running on your computer before you left, right? Yeah, yeah. I was having a bit of a play with some of the F55 footage, uh, some of the RAW and some of the XAVC, and uh, yeah, it's quite impressive to have, you know, very easy play, uh, full resolution on Premiere Pro, drag and drop the XAVC 4K files playing with no drop frames uh, yeah with my, my Mac Pro I put the put the GPU card out even I didn't even use any acceleration none of that was switched on and I could uh, yeah play it at full resolution no problem and uh, 
I'm yet to do side by side with the full Sony RAW XAVC versus Sony RAW and see uh, how much. I'd love to sort of do a bit of a test or see a bit of a test of highlights and shadows and see how much you're really losing. From most reports from people who have done a bit of grading tests between the two, there is definitely a lot to be had in the ARRI RAW. There is no free lunch with these little light XAV files, XAVC files. Um, but the, the uh, if you want to have a nice light workable file and um, maybe even have a system, again, where you have both, use the XAVCs as your proxies and go and cut with them and, and keep the RAWs in reserve for, for grading. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely good to see these two. I, I think with Sony's, what we've seen in the past from when they show stuff to when we actually I mean, it, see it. Yeah, that's where I was going to go with that. It's pretty quick. Yeah. It's pretty quick. They don't, yeah. they don't take – they'll open the kimono only when they know that what's inside <laughs> is going to be able to deliver. Yeah, I think from what we – it's be less than a year, I'd say, then. Yeah, I mean, they will not show something in NAB that is – but, I mean, I'd prefer them to show stuff that's – well, I guess on the show floor, there was nothing that wasn't shipping within 30 days that I saw. But this is stuff that admittedly was not shown on the show floor. Like, you're talking about a private press event you had to be invited to off the show floor. Yes, I mean, it was – you know, the, there was the, hundreds of people in the audience. It just wasn't – Yeah, but, I mean, it wasn't – it wasn't, like, down on the – it wasn't open to the public. No, not so much, no. But uh, I think – uh, I think we will definitely see that these cameras within the year and people will be shooting with them or they'll be fully functioning, working, happy, playing uh, cameras by next NEB. And we will not be multiple years till we see that stuff. So that's, you know, good on you, Sony, for working that way. So is there any other serious camera stuff or lenses before we start getting into the fun stuff of the show? Hmm... I feel I feel we should take a right turn into Happyville. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's much else there. I think Red, we sort of pretty much hit the hit the, hit the big stuff, which is what we're expecting. So, in terms of Happyville, Happyville, um, we were raving about the uh, Vincent Lafayette film that showed off um, movie, movie prior movie. to. NAB. Yeah. It just came out. Um, since then, I certainly posted something on Twitter, which was a feed to a, uh, a mini helicopter footage of the Movi, or the Movi on a mini helicopter, which that's not the name of it, but anyway. Yeah. And, oh my God, 100 mil lens on a drone little chopper. Yeah. Flying around, producing just spectacular imagery. Yeah. Um, now, it's not the, easy to have this level of uh, stabilization. And again, with with movie with the film, none there was no post stabilization with that whatsoever. They're purely showing the actual in camera stabilization. So what Free Fly has done is not just produce a method of stabilizing, but a method of stabilizing that isn't really heavy. And that was the one thing that I didn't pick yeah. up on from Vincent Lafayette's film. Why would I? That yeah. it was so lightweight. When they came on the FX Guide live event mm. for the RC, and obviously you held it and I held it. It was astonishingly lightweight. Yeah, I think having, if you haven't held it, it's one of those very easy to look at the video and think, oh my God, how long are you going to be able to hold that up for? It's really, I think because a lot of the weight is underslung and you're mm-hmm. actually lifting it, you know, you're, you're holding at the top of the weight, I guess. Uh, that kind of helps. And it just, I don't know, it, it's, not that, it's not that heavy. I mean, you're dealing with uh, carbon fiber makes, and it's a lot of carbon fiber. Uh, most of the metal probably in there is the uh, the motors on, on the ends of all the axes, the brushless motors. 
It's uh, that's probably most of the weight and the lens, lens and camera. And you're working with a really stripped down, a really stripped down camera to begin with, and probably choose your lenses right. But I'm not sure on the booth. What did we have? It was the one DC. I think we had in that rig. Yeah, but there was also a, there was a the, Sony camera on at one stage. Yeah, there was. Fo- there's focus motors. There's HDMI transmitters. There's all its own power supplies. Um, and it still doesn't. It just it just doesn't weigh that much. It's not. I could comfortably operate that for as long as I could probably operate any Steadicam shop. Yes. I oh yeah. I mean, well, Steadicam has a lot more weight in the um, in the in the springs. Yeah. Peter, the thing that somebody said to me, which I thought was interesting, was that almost every shot that people were sort of pretending to film, and we we actually did switch it on and film some stuff. Ooh. So we actually had some clips to look at ourselves. But it seemed to be like a waist height or chest height shot. Um, not a yeah. eye height shot. I think if you were going to do an awful lot of eye height stuff... You'd want a different kind of rig. Well, or you'd still have it, but you'd put it on a uh, easy rig. Right. Maybe. So you're still, you're still, really you're still well using the stabilization, but you're just kind of taking a little bit of the weight or a little bungee rig or any kind of any, 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 anything like that to... Probably easy. I'd love to see if it's possible to put it on an uh, easy rig. Still taking the weight, you're still giving, not losing so much flexibility. I mean, I think the thing with the thing with movies, movie is that the, because you are, although it can be single operator, it's designed to be a double, a, a dual operator. You know, like a, a, someone carrying it and then someone doing the pan and tilt. It'd be very different. Uh, if you imagine when you're steady camming, you always have to keep an eye on the monitor. You always have to. You're doing framing. And you're watching your feet, and you're kind of looking for your next step, and you're peripherally making sure you're not going to trip. When you split those two jobs up, I think you become a little bit more flexible. When the person carrying it really just has to get it from A to B to Z, and they're not trying to always look over their shoulder as they're walking forwards to to look back at the monitor and, and keep the framing right. You can just run full pelt. You can just be mad as with it and let somebody else worry about the framing. As long as you don't get yourself in the shot, um, you can you know you could just run you could run straight ahead, a lot faster than you can run straight ahead with a with a uh, steady cam when you have to look over your shoulder with one eye forward and one eye back and uh, looking at a monitor. So it's it's a much more flexible piece of kit and constantly when you watch the footage or you just even muck around with it for five minutes, constantly watching the footage, say uh, thinking. Every five seconds, seeing an angle or a transition from one place to another, which is impossible with a Steadicam. Well, you've seen like the the, the classic rollerblade shot, you know, mm. running up to the to the cab, which was a spectacular. Yeah, and that's just one of the, one of the many shots that uh, are just impossible with a, yeah. with a Steadicam. Yeah, I'm going to say part of this because it was on the uh, Freefly stand and and that clip I mentioned. The other thing that I saw, you know, a trend in if you can call it a trend because it was just everywhere was drone choppers oh, oh my god so it was it's like it was the same proliferate proliferation that we saw last year with stereo rigs yeah and there was every single every, every second stand had was 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 and it was kind of overload really no one seemed to be really doing anything different no one seemed to be doing anything amazing or well, pretty much the, the same line. adaptation apart from what what they'd done with the movie was um because one of the things but I like think the movie next year, that's what we'll see. You'll just be there. Will be everyone and will have a movie, yeah, or an cause, adaptation of it. Because one of the things with the movie that I hadn't anticipated is, and we had it doing it when we were on the booth, so you can see this footage. Is that you would turn it really quickly, and it would know that you wanted to move 
as a pan from left to right, but you moved it kind of quickly and awkwardly, and it would turn that into a slow beautiful pan yeah the majestic right. mode yeah so this majestic mode is a really interesting thing because it isn't just a matter of stabilizing now it's a matter of sort of taking out the hurriedness um yeah yeah i think there's a few interesting modes which is what makes it uh different from so it's not just any sort of off-the-shelf gimbal yeah exactly and from any existing because you're not going to get that with a, a gimbal if i turn a gimbal really quickly it'll click around and then sort of start working again effectively yeah um so it has obviously the just original mode where no matter where you point it, no matter how fast you move it, it will just stay point. It will just point dead ahead and, and that's it and always find kind of true north. The majestic mode is it will sort of have a bit of a drift where you could kind of almost operate it a bit like um, as a one-man band thing whereby as you sort of it will kind of correct itself a little bit to where you're, well, it, where it, you're, but it's where computer you're pointing assisted. it. It's computer assisted yes. which is the big difference because it isn't just the computers taking out um, the irregularities. It's yeah. actually the computer saying, oh, okay, I You're will... You're swinging over here. It. Okay, I'll come over there. I'm not going to do it as fast as you did it, but I'll come and catch you up slowly. And I think there's another kind of more handheld mode where if you want to have that immediacy, you want to have a bit of stabilization, you can just wind that out a little bit. Sometimes you want to have a little bit of that energy and a little bit of that... Uh, a, little bit, a little bit of the organic feel. You know, you don't want to completely lock it down to it so everything looks like a like a um, space cam. So you can actually wind some of that back in and have a bit of more more of a natural, almost like a handheld feel, but with still the, all the ability, all the advantages of you know the ability to hand this thing over from one person to another. So uh, well, I'm very very clever as we speak at an HD clip. You can hear it in the background there, which is us from the booth, and I'll just turn it off so we don't get the volume. But it was. It was completely amateur hour by us and produced shots that are way better yeah. than they should be. Yeah, just simply mucking around. I think no one was even actually operating on the us. On, there was no, no one at the controller side. No, I think no, we were just no. mucking around. And yep. even, those, even with no one at, at the, you know, asleep at the wheel at the other end, the, the imagery was still interesting. And we were just really just seeing what it could do. I wasn't trying to compose any shots or anything. And the rushes were immediately very, very engaging, just uh, accidentally. Uh, very clever, very clever. It's um. So, what other toys and fun okay. stuff did you see? Unusual, I want fun stuff, crazy weird stuff. Not, not lenses. Not. Uh, okay. Because you're very good at finding that stuff. Yeah, it's um. Okay, let's say. Well, I think one of the. Uh, I kind of because I don't do a lot of time lapse. One of the things I kind of skirted by a little bit was the uh, Kessler. Kessler Crane stand, and when I did swing yeah. by, the, I was, I don't have any actually pictures here in, on the show notes for you to see, Mike. But they have a they had an excellent eight axis Moco rig. Uh, I mean, a lot of people have got that a track with a pan and tilt thing for time lapse, right? But these, yeah. but uh, they have developed a, like a boom arm, so like a little mini crane, so you can do pan tilt and crane, and then do it on an elevated track. And all pack it up and put it in, in pelican cases and, and go up for and, and program the whole thing as we think we've seen a, uh, a couple of years ago when when Eric was demoing his iPad yep. app to be able to do just very simple a being uh, you know put in simple keyframes then to be able to tweak the keyframes then to be able to do let's do a let's do a run of this once we've got this move we like we can tweak some of the midpoints of it and go into even with quite 
granular accuracy and change any small part of it or ramp something or change a move all with just a touch screen on, on an iPad and then to once you've got it all programmed to then play it all at say I want to do a pass at 25 frames or to back it up let's do another pass where let's do it over five hours instead of five minutes and so all of the power that we're used to with a big you know like a Milo rig mm. in something that costs around about 12 grand and very portable, but then you can put it. You know, can put an epic or whatever you want, and you know, put something reasonable, quite reasonable on on this head. We'll take probably put a probably put a you know an F F sixty five on this thing if you want to. Oh, really? It's not a terribly heavy camera. The F sixty five, it's just bulky. Okay, but the head itself and uh, it's very 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 beautifully done, and it's not out yet, but it'll be a month or two before everything else apart from the crane is out. But to see a piece of technology which previously would have been a massive uh, effort of air freight and multiple crew people and trying to find a rig, you know, where from its home base in Austria or something and having to fly out a crack team in a, um, a, in a Russian freighter aircraft to get this thing out to you. To be able to see something do what? You know, we used to rent for multiple tens, if not a hundred thousand dollars, in the past in the film days. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, and they had a like a turntable rig as well, so you could actually see, apart from going out and about and doing you know beautiful time lapse moves, this is a really excellent. Uh, set it up as a tabletop shot. You know, do I think you actually thing. get more use out of it in a yeah. studio yeah. in many respects? Like doing like 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 tracking moves around, like the classic kind of Apple product shot stuff. Yeah, and that's part of the beauty of the programmability of this stuff is to be able to set up an a, set up point A, set up point B, and it will do the whole nodal move for you, and it will keep keep the center of the image. Um, keep you know, keep the keep the object in the center and track around these things very easy and make it easily. I'm sure, Mike, you remember the days. Not mentioning names, but there was a few rigs here in town where you'd spend all day programming something, and then it would literally just completely forget the entire move at the end of the day, and you have to start over again. Oh, I remember that. And you had to like seriously like ram set bolt the thing into the ground, and yeah. it was like a complete fucking palaver. And then just go. I just want to dovetail that out at the end oh you want to do that I have to start over what yeah and it was <laughs> yeah, you better not doing that in post yeah it's, oh no yeah it just was all, everything was a bit too hard so very beautiful very portable piece of piece of rig so I was very very impressed with, with, with I didn't that look and at for that 12 rig, grand I know that sounds expensive but seriously but is the missing that component ain't. in that the ability to fire the camera by the rig because one of the things you really want is for repeatability you want the same frame to, to do, start at the same point yeah so you don't want just to, the camera to move and you button on, button off whenever you want. You want right. at, you know... The one, film equivalent of being able to take a frame to do the stop-start thing. Well, but, but, but what you want is that at 21 millimetres into the move, it's frame five exactly mm. as it was frame five, you know, 15 minutes ago and frame five, 10 minutes from now. Yeah. See what I mean? Because yep. that gives you... So exactly frame match. Well, I guess then you are getting into the stop... Uh, time lapse kind of shooting stills, which is exactly what we were doing probably in the days of having a having a having a a Fry's Mitchell on on there all hooked up with a stepper motor driving the whole film thing that you could literally park it, park a shot in between frames. You mean, but like be be actually frame accurate. Well, when I've been using Milo rigs, one of the things we wanted to do was run the Milo so I could repeat the same. So I want to have you 
in this room three times. I'm going to do yeah. three passes. Yeah. And to, for those to go together, you have to have the two frames perfectly line up. You don't want it to be running at 25 frames a second, but if you compare the frames, they're not taken at exactly the same instant. Right, they're taken half, and a half, half yeah, exactly half, half a frame frames. out. Because then mm. you can't blend easily, you know, A with B with C. Hmm, good question. I guess that involves some sort of sync. Yeah, it involves sync the, and control. Where the rig is feeding... The camera control. ...is gen-locking it, in a way. Yeah, but, well, yeah. And, so that every frame is happening at the same point in the right. move. Yes, but you've also got to fire, like the move has to be sunk with the camera because it isn't just enough that the cameras are gen locked. Because you see what I mean? Like you need to be at the same point in the move at the same frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, if if the if the if the if the rig is sending out sync, yes, then it's going to be the same sync. Well, but okay. every pass. Yes, it's slightly more complicated yeah. than that because obviously sometimes you want to. Slow it down by half or yes. double it. And yeah, that gets tricky when you're trying to... How do you do it. gen lock when one pass is at 12 frames and yes. another pass is at 50 frames? And Yes, that was sort of something probably easier in the, in the hey, film at days. the other end of the, the spectrum, tell me about this poly dolly thingy. Oh, the poly dolly's wonderful. Okay, did it? you see the video, Mike? I saw the video, but what is it? Okay. It's, well, where, do, where is it? Where was it? Was <laughs> it was it? just like a little homebrew corner of the, you know, down the back end in like the sort of the wilderness part of, of Central of uh, Central Hall. This is a very, uh, I think, quite reasonably heavy kind of block, kind of, imagine a very heavy, solid skateboard, but one of the massive big flywheel in the middle of it, like in the classic kind of push car where you kind of spin up and let it go and it'll whiz along the carpet. This is a... a, a dolly base with a big flywheel in it right so and very massively geared down wheels so the flywheel is spinning you know a hundred times to move an inch or so okay and then on top of that it has like a, a kind of i guess like a gooseneck arm thing for mounting your camera or you can mount the camera right on the top put your head right on top of the on top of this thing it's a very sturdy kind of base running on 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 nylon wheels with a big flywheel running it but what's and at first, I probably walked past this thing five times until I, some, I happened to walk past when someone was demoing it. And then they have the aha moment. Right. To see this thing, like on a tabletop, and they have their own little kind of track as well you can buy. But if, you, if it would be great for tabletop kind of product work. You just spin this little flywheel, even just the slowest amount, and all of a sudden you get an absolutely smooth, slow, creeping move. You know, it doesn't go fast, doesn't really go slow. I mean, it eventually will slow down, but your move is just so beautifully governed that you can do the smallest little tiny moves without, I mean, you know, it's like even with those hmm. sliders or whatever, you put your hand on them, you can almost feel the the blood pumping in your, in your hand and see it right through the lens, you know, very yes. much governed by how well or how smoothly you can push it. But as soon as you add, an, add a flywheel, a very simple piece of physics to this equation, it becomes very easy to do nice, smooth, slow, steady moves. Um, I don't know how I can post a video on the show notes, but I'm sure maybe on 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 um, Polly Dolly's websites. Do not go to PollyDolly.com. Don't no. go there. Okay? Well, now everybody's going to do that. <laughs> go to that go people. to Polly Don't Mike. Go to Polly. Well, you better turn your volume down. Go to PollySystems.com. And I'm sure there'll be, hopefully, if they're, if they're, unless they're insane, they should have a some sort of demo video there to show you really how this thing works. Very, very clever. Very simple. And 
yeah, it all folds up and goes into the beautiful little. Um, uh, you looked at the site, didn't you? No, I just, no. <laughs> just the thing about turning the volume down. I was like, yeah, what is it? Uh, yeah. Um, I can't look because I can't turn the volume off. Beautiful. Recording the podcast. Put it all in a Pelican case. Like it's about two or three, a couple of couple of thousand euro or so. It's, it's for what it is. It's beautifully made. There's even shots of like a full on Alexa with a hundred mil bowl tripod on this thing. You can definitely kit it out, like, kit it up if you want. It's not a little toy. Uh, it'll definitely have its uses. It's very clever. It's one of the, one of those things you probably have to see it and then go, hmm, oh yes. Well, one that I Jeff and that I work. One that Jeff and I saw, which is just a minor thing, but. Um, uh, do you know, uh, is it Benro? Benro? B- yes. B-E-N-R-O? Benro? Yes, I know the name, yes. Yeah, they make, they make oh, really tripods. nice tripods and monopods and oh, stuff. Yes. They've got a really nice new range of monopods and stuff. And oh, it's not the sort of stuff we normally discuss on the <laughs> show, but <laughs> the uh, A380F, they're making monopods that you can put like really substantial cameras on uh-huh um now the danger of this of course is you step away from it and it just falls over yeah and and i've nearly done that because it's so lulls you know false sense of security such a heavy monopod but if you're at some event and if you literally gaffer tape the camera to your hand so you can't step away with it and have it fall over yeah um these guys make really really solid hardcore good monopods and um when we were shooting uh, the reason i brought this up we were shooting uh that stuff outside the uh, Bellagio, we were trying to use a tripod almost as a monopod. Yeah. I would have loved to have had one of these. Yeah. I'm going to say it's very similar to, there's a video monopod from uh, Manfrotto. Right. It looks very similar to it in the fact that they actually have, I mean, you can have a bit of tilt fluid, but I think what this one's doing exactly the same is they actually have a little bit of fluid in the base right down at where the, uh, the, uh, the bottom of the monopod is, where you actually rotate it around. There's a little bit of fluid yeah. in there as well. So the uh, Manfrotto have something similar. They add the fluid monopod, and they have like a little 500 head in it. and So it has, has, has damping on the pan from down the bottom and the tilt with the head as well. So this looks very looks, looks similar to that and has those little, you know, they're spread out, little tiny little tripod spreader on the base of the monopod. Monopods are very, very popular for this kind of I've stuff. Run say, and gun. You could put. You can put. I know a lot of people that have. I think um, even Mike, Mark, Mark Toyer uses a, uh, a monopod quite a lot. Something yeah. very similar to that. And yeah, just run and gun with a. It gives you a hell of a lot. Yeah, with a monopod. Yeah, particularly if you know if you're going to. Because we really loved our Miller tripods um, at the FX Guide Live event. Yes, thank you to all of the sponsors for that. Actually, Mike, I'm sure you kind of mentioned them. Would mention them at the end, but we had Road and Miller and. Uh, and black magic. Now I know an you Aussie are, uh, trifecta there. You are very tight with Road, but boy, was I impressed with their mics. Yeah, that pin mic. Uh, the pin mic get is, an Emmy for that. It's very, it's very cool. Pin mic's very cool. The, um, yeah, reporter mic's cool. Do we know? Oh yeah, the reporter MG3. mic we're using. Hey, do you um, know when those uh, Road mics are coming out? That no, go on? Smart oh. Labs. No. Okay. <laughs> Because I really want one soon. I know. Well, just because the other stuff's so good. Okay. Next thing, dactyl cam. D a t d a c t y l c a m. Dactyl, as in pterodactyl cam. Yeah. Uh, they've got a larger. They make um, like flying fox uh, rigs. Nothing gyro stabilized. Although you could put a little simple canyon on there if you want. But they make a, a very cool and very affordable little GoPro sized. Um, Radio control, so it's motorized, 
and uh, so you can at least control the speed. You can do about 40 mile an hour with this thing with a GoPro on it. And uh, I think the cool thing about it was like 780 bucks hmm. for the Go Rig. So if you go to dactylcam.com, they had a very, I don't know if it's a show special, but it's certainly uh, still up and running. 780 bucks yeah, for a fully remote, fully radio controlled, 40 kilometers an hour. And it's up to about a kilo payload. So actually even GoPro, you could definitely put the, the black magic pocket or something on there. Hang on, how do you spell it? D a c t y l, as in pterodactyl cam. Dactylcam.com. and they have what's. So you're that, talking about the Go Rig? The Go Rig, because the other one's like twelve grand, and you can put say, reasonably cool, big camera in there. Quite big. But I thought what was cool was the uh, the the GoPro size one. And yeah, good demo reels on their on their site. I thought it was great. There wasn't too many of those kind of things around. Actually, there was like so many UAVs and stuff like this. wasn't wasn't very um, uh, wasn't very popular. I'm sorry, I couldn't have been listening. What does it do? It's a flying fox camera, like a cable cam. But how do you control it? With a radio control, so it has its own onboard motor and and yeah. basically just controlling the speed. So all it's going to go is left and right. You can't control the camera. You no, although or or... although I've seen uh, at, at the show, you know there's people who did that, is it, um, I'm trying to think what they are, JDC, I'm sure what they are, the, the guys that did the Phantom, that little tiny quadcopter, GoPro yeah. quadcopter, they had a tiny little, beautifully, again, beautifully stabilized like a movie. They had a little tiny um, gimbal head for that little quadcopter, for a GoPro, like a tiny little... So if you put that gimbal head on this thing... You could. I imagine it'd probably add... You'd need to then add, you know, the transmitters and, and power and stuff for that. But uh, I think... Uh, is it DJI? I'm trying to think what they are, who do the Phantom. Those guys are kicking it. They're doing a... Uh, I think it may be reasonably expensive, eight or $900, but it was a beautiful... Search search for, for, for the demo videos... I think maybe newshooter.com did a quick uh, visit to their site and there was a really good demo of it. Uh, a mini, basically, you could then pick up the whole quadcopter and run around like a little poor man's movie, but for a GoPro. Beautiful little gimbal head. You could put it on one of those and put a little, um, I don't know, you could put the little GoPro, put the Blackmagic Pocket camera on there and be uh, travelling at 40 kilometres an hour through a forest. For yeah, a couple of I, grand. Yeah, very I, cool. No, I kind of like it. It just it just seems to me that it's a solution that's not quite everything because you, you just well, it's get pretty wide. You set well, it and you, forget it. Just point it straight ahead. Yeah, but how are you controlling it? I just don't. Well, you roll you it. Just want to control you, it. You just well, yeah. We don't. Well, that's the bigger one. That's why. Well, no, no, no. But is, I mean, seven hundred dollars. No, no. But this is awesome. I'm not getting you. I'm not saying it's crap. I'm just simply saying that. See, the, the GoPro already has a Wi-Fi on it, right? So even though it's like a three-second delay... Yes, you can... You get some can, idea what's going you on. You can probably roll it, and then someone else will have to cut it down the bottom. As soon as you go, you know, a couple of hundred feet, in the, a hundred foot or so in the forest, you're never going to lose your Bluetooth. You're going to be able to frame it and see what you're seeing for the first few seconds, but then, you know... This is this is you want you might want to do two hundred you know hundred hundred feet through a forest following people down a down a ravine or uh, you know following them on a downhill bike race or you know jogging. But there's on a, a beach. remote control for how fast it runs down the flying fox. Isn't yes. There? Yeah. Okay. Because otherwise it. it would be 
not very useful That's at it. all. Yeah, exactly. You can proportionally control that. Otherwise, so you just someone's... get one really good shot. <laughs> yeah, Seven hundred eighty. Right. Otherwise, yeah, you just you can just make that yourself. It's just just set and forget. It's called a just close push line. <laughs> exactly. I'm no. not saying it's bad. I'm just simply saying I want to see somebody else give the other bit that lets it control really well. Okay, I'm moving on because I've got a lot of things here. Edel, Edel Crone, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of their stuff, but they did have a very clever little, that little slider, pocket slider thing they had was very clever. You remember that? Which is kind of like, it's a short, a, I love a that short thing. slider. I want that, one of those things. Did you play with it? I want one of those I mean, we so saw badly. the video and we looked at it, but in the hand, that thing is actually really beautifully made. It's I can't very tell you how clever, badly I want one of those. That pocket slider. But what they showed was an add-on to that, which is like a little, um, a little remote head. Not designed probably for anything much more than What's the URL? than say a DSLR. Uh, I don't think this this is not on their website. Oh, okay, it'll be in the show notes. So I'm, I didn't even have a name for it. I calling it the nodal slider. The but basically, slider. it was a um, an encoder which you clamp onto the side of this uh, mini slider thing, and basically put it put it to any point in the, in the track. Yeah. Measure out the distance to your object. Say like yes. a tabletop, like a. Um, tracking around a, a, I don't know, like an iPhone or something. Yeah. So you just input the distance and then hit go and you still, it's not pushing the slider for you, but you, you move the slider around and it will nodally, nodally handle the pan. That's just awesome. Very simple. And you could just do it as fast as you like and it kept up with it. So if you're just doing nice, very simple, easy to set up, small um, moves Round an object. So now to get that, I to mean, work. it's not—it's not doing a circular move. Of course, it's still a straight move, but you go to one end of the one end of the track, program in the program in the so your you go, pan. I want it twenty-three degrees to the right yeah. at one end. Exactly. And I want it twenty-three yep. degrees to program, the other at the other end. Pan and tilt it. Set it up. Hit the and how much is run a tape? I don't know. No idea how much it is. It well, can't be very do it much. Look expensive. I'm, uh, I'm saying it's. Under a thousand dollars. Okay, guessing. well, that's, that's yeah, no, pretty. Pretty. That's in the zone. It's. It's not. You know, this is not for everything. I thought it was just very cool. It's very no, simple. That, that very clever. Cool problem is demo. exactly. I mean, look, God, tabletop stuff is the lifeblood of many people's careers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I'm not being in any way product sarcastic. demos. Yeah, product yeah. shots, tabletop shots. Yep. Are, are everything. I mean, there's just so much business in that kind yeah. of work. It just worked so beautifully. It was all I did was just run a tape, hit the distance. Go and then you push it up and down, and it just nodally panned around brilliantly. There's no nothing more complicated than that. Okay. Very clever. Now, um, yes, we've talked about bulletproof and how that's sort of all yes. starting to put a few apps together. Jumping back, not, this is not cool and weird sort of stuff. You blink and miss it. I'm going to jump back to something I should have mentioned before, which is Resolve Ten. Okay. Did you have a play with that? Yeah, it's awesome. The edit part. The, the fact that it's Specifically, now, the new timeline, the yeah. editing part of, of Resolve 10. Uh, wow. I was feeling very at home in the editing department now. I think with a few tweaks, when they get to the other end of the beta, that could be, that could be a, a definite editing choice for somebody. And the fact that literally you just step into the next room and you're grading your footage. Oh, hang on, I've got to tweak my, tweak my edit. Pop back to your edit. You know, a lot of the times I don't grade or I sort of just do a, a rough three, you know, th- simple three-way color or do a, you know, a, a magic look looks or something because the pain of stepping out of that into Resolve and, 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 you know, for some projects is a little bit of a pain. So it's just, I think it's really cool to have it all in one app. And I think that editor could well be 
could well be another option. I mean, it's not designed to be an offline editor. No, but... But it, I will it, say this. It's, it's a huge the, step forward. Yeah. Um, but th- there's like 50 things that are new in this version. Yeah. Um, the fact that it yeah, has a live mode... Yeah, I know. I'm just fixating mode, on that because... No, no, but it has the live mode, which could be really interesting to some people. Set up some looks live while you're there. Yeah. And then when you go in later, just apply those to the clips when you've transferred them. Or, yeah. And there's a one that I was raving about, which was the ability just to, in one button press, produce five nodes that splits out into three RGB or HLS or whatever, and then back in a recombiner. So if you wanted to get out and do blurring on the red channel, it's just yeah. one button press, there it is, there's your red channel, in effect yeah. that. Now, all in the nodal graph. The stabilizing and all the tracking is very much improved too, because it actually starts to... Uh, as you know, Mike, if if your object goes out of frame or new yep. things come into frame, it kind of throws it all out. But this is actually sta- particularly stabilizing and and smoothing of moves. It's it's picking up tracking new stuff comes into frame. It's taking tracking markers wherever it can. So it will. It was very much uh, improved tracking and, and stabilizing. If you already own Resolve, the upgrade is free. Yeah, it comes with all the cameras that they ship. Yeah, free. Yeah, it doesn't. It does like software that's. It isn't free, but you can get it or upgrade to it without a lot of expense. It shouldn't be this good. It shouldn't be. Yes. I mean, it really is remarkable. I seriously think that that editor could be, uh, is, is, is a good enough editor by itself to be edit only. Walk well, in there and edit and then just, just, and then do a little quick grade. And you can plug this plug in, plug in filters. It's got titling. It's got, you know, you can, you can, I was dragging stuff. I had a timeline there that had that had um, GoPro, Epic, Blackmagic, every, pretty much every single camera made all in one timeline. It was playing beautifully. Uh, you can you know, take the audio, slip the audio, in sync, out of sync, pretty much everything that you could do, you know, ripple edits, just do it with layers, put stuff on top of each other and, and just grab grab all the, you know, resizing, all the simple yep. resizing, all the stuff you'd want to be able to do to really simply, easily. It had, what it was, had, it had that really nice sort of look and feel that 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 Final Cut Pro Ten does, mm. but with, but, with yeah, but, 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 you know, but with all the layout okay. of, a traditional NLE. So very, very impressed with that and hopefully it will evolve. I, I'm, I'm very keen to see how that comes out of the other end of the beta progress. Uh, okay, agree. what else? Let's see. Okay, there was a very, very, very large thing on your running list. Yes. The size of, I'm going to say, you know, Van Halen's tour bus. <laughs> oh, Yes. The uh, this is not a new thing, but it was a, it was it was very cool. Why did we just it happened to be list? introduced to the the guys and go and see it. The Radar Mobile Studio. Now, uh, this is yeah, like a big big motorhome. Okay, so this is pretty much uh, awesome. a pretty much a west Co- a west coast thing. But uh, Radar One was uh, it's a brilliantly kitted out, uh, kind of like a sort of tour bus, but it is fitted out with. It all has its internal service. It has um, it's all set up for whatever you want to run in there. Be it be it Avid, be it Final Cut, be it Resolve. Um, it's like a seventeen hundred dollar a day. Yeah, it's nothing. Host house, nothing. It's like as a, as a production as a production hub. There's plenty of plenty of desks there. You can have DIT. You can have someone grading rushes. You can have, just have production people just putting a production together. 
just as a very comfortable hang or, you know, you could sit there and, and be you know grading in one end of the bus and then be looking at second unit stuff pumped should, live into the other FX end of the bus. We should Guide Live next year. Hmm? We should book this for FX Guide Live FX next year. FX Guide Live, brilliantly, brilliant. 30 terabyte SAN. Yep. Yep, 100 processor render farm. It's all, it's all... And it's all it's all on all under the hood. It's just beautiful. All you see is just like monitors and keyboards and things. It's beautifully put together. Wi Fi hotspot, one mile encoded, encrypted. Yep. Video camera support for four cameras, five avid. <laughs> so it's one of those flexible kind of rooms where you can say, mm. Okay, I want it on set and I wanna have resolve here and I wanna have uh avid here and I wanna have you know, you decide what you wanna have where and uh or this should be a DIT station, so I wanna have just shop put pro on these two places and and it's yeah, it's it's your it's your that's your rushes. It's your lab. Um, yeah, you can be grading grading stuff, setting up looks. You know. It also has a really big fridge. It has a very big fridge. It was excellent. So I was very impressed with it. It's funny how this stuff always looks like seventies caravan, though, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, the interior. Yeah, I know. Like somebody you needs could probably to... commission a seventy million dollar private jet tomorrow, and it's still going to look like something out of the seventies. It's just the wood paneling looks so weird. <laughs> Still, I mean, if, you, if you, kinda... the choice of sitting on the street in a KD canopy with sort of, oh. you know, um, yeah. I mean, you're clo- a little bit closer to set maybe, but, you know, or, or you have or you have this, uh, I would go with this. And man, the price, sixteen ninety five a day. I think yeah. one of those things, once you have it, there'd be Can no I going back. Can I sleep in it? Because I could just, you know, we could all actually, bunk in there instead of getting a hotel. No mention. There was no mention of beds, actually. That would be what's missing. I'm sure any of those couches could easily be... Easily be somewhere you can sleep. It's like how many hotel rooms do you need before you can just have this? As and then exactly and then during the day you just roll it up and broadcast live, and at night you just sleep in it. Yeah, that's very clever. And they had a uh, very cool um, Range Rover Sport version of that. Do they? Yeah, all monitors and monitor arms, and you could do um, you know do scratch in there and do all your do your do your rushes and out the back of a Range Rover Sport. All right, well, can I sort of wrap things up by asking you a couple of big killer questions? Go. So just by way of summary, do you think it was a good NAB? Was it like sort of an exciting NAB? Or did you feel like it was like, yeah, same old, same old? I think, and I'm sure you concur, Mike, 50% of NAB is is the the personal stuff, is the meetups, people, yeah. is the people. Meaning people who, not just who you, you who we haven't seen for a year, but also people you've never met before. Hookups from people that I haven't, you know, who have gone off to do long-term projects who I haven't seen for, for, for a long time. There's a lot of that. Sorry, my phone. Um, so I thought it was terrific NAB. I thought it was terrific NAB. I spent a lot more time scouring the floor, going, you know, hunting down stuff and connecting with connecting with people who are actually making this stuff connecting with the people who are developing software developing drives developing camera gear making the stuff and literally it was a really good connect you know making connections with these people because they are they are there to not just sell you stuff and give you a business card they want to connect with the industry often these people are it's their um this is their main this is the biggest show of the year for a lot of these people and they want to not just you know press the flesh they want to get feedback from people hear from you how we're using this gear and it's great just great to connect with these with these companies and um, you know try in some way be a part of uh, 
influencing the next thing they make. So I, I, I love doing that kind of thing, actually, you know, not just, just, and also it's great to, it's physically just great to, to touch the stuff and, and see it because you can, you can stare at it for forever and think it's, this is, this is, the, this is the, the piece of kit that I want to buy. But until you actually touch it and play with it and see how things work with other things and this rig works with that and you can't really, t- you can't do that from, you know, you can't do a lot of that stuff from the net. You can't, you just can't connect with this with this stuff. I know it sounds really geeky, but you know you can waste an awful lot of money. I mean, it's expensive to go and do this, to go and do the show, but it's also expensive to to not. You know, it's expensive to buy stuff and right. and 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 and, um, and then not have it work for you. Yeah, you know, it's good to have hands on with the stuff. Okay, my next question, and I think I know the answer to this, is: Do you see any slowdown in this kind of um, arms race of camera tech? Well, if you look at the layout of the show there's there's not enough room for all the production gear as it is red is in south hall south which hall. is amongst yeah. and, and black house. magic as you can see they are kind of black magic themselves are this microcosm of what nab is they started off as a small humble post manufacturer and now they're yeah, they into camera they're into production yeah. every now multi, now launching multiple cameras every year and yeah. um uh, look, I, I can't see one 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 half of it feeds the other. So you know, we look at the whole 4K push. You look at Sony; they have they cover all of the bases. Their their 4K is from beginning to end. It's not it used to be like, you know, if it was film, then that could be pushed out to multiple with the one camera. You could push it out to multiple things. It could do docos. It could do it could do PAL, it could do HD, it could do whatever. Now we're the production side is driving the um is driving the the post side. You know, you're looking at Sony where they're making four K cameras to be able to sell four K mixers to be able to sell four K TVs. So it's very much the cam the production side drives the, the post side. So I can't see how one can grow without the other. So Okay, so my, my- no. My last question is, uh, and obviously one of the huge reasons why this podcast is so popular, and by the way, guys, we really appreciate the enormous number of you that came up to us during the show. Oh, um, absolutely. It's like really quite humbling, actually. Very, very much. And, and I mean, hardcore professionals who were coming up and saying, yeah, we were on the set of whatever it was, X movie in the middle of you know Africa, and we were sitting there and listening to the RC, and it was awesome. But by the way, you mentioned the dot, 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 and it isn't quite right with the dot, 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 dot. We're like, <laughs> Awesome. Um, so we really do appreciate you guys listening, but but one of the reasons that people like this so much is that you are obviously hardcore working directorial professional. So, but can't leave well enough alone and just yeah. But my, my point is this: did is there anything that you saw at NAB that would actually change your current workflow? Was there anything that you said, oh, okay, well now that's going to change how I do things? Because mm. that's the thing that's the the the, the acid test, right? This, yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I think what's still the big problem is, is that we are, and will do with 6K, we're going to be just end up, we are accelerating madly in how much data we're making and how much stuff we're producing. And the back end of it, and like drives and the comp- and, and software and stuff, I mean, we're getting more flexibility and we're getting, a you know, it's clever ways of handling the data. But, we're stuck in this 
we're stuck with spinning drives and and old Mac Pros and the whole back end still is I is so I stagnant. So don't you think? Apple, yeah. The camera stuff is accelerating madly and generating we're fucking generating so much data and, and every tick of the clock cameras are you know every second camera is is a raw camera now you know something in you you know the point and point in film as you say black magic doing raw everything is raw and generating a ton of data we just i'm not where's the where's the red digital cinema for 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 post where's my where's my where's the where's the silver bullet for all that back end you know what i mean it seems to definitely be dragging the chain and making all the front end really all the harder to do. Okay, well, I'm gonna, think? I, I totally agree. I'm going to suggest that you name two things a second. I'll go first so you've got a chance to think because I haven't asked you this question in advance. I was going to say, name the product of the show for you and name the um, exhibitor of the show for you. So I'll go first. I actually think that um, the exhibitor of the show for me was Blackmagic because yes. Blackmagic delivered at many levels... Um, if it had just had DaVinci, I'd have been happy, but it had DaVinci, but it also had all that stuff with cameras, and it also was doing that branching out, so it was covering, you know, at the 2000 the 3000 the $4,000 product range, and I just can't get over that, you know, some of these things are really cool, but if they cost $10,000, I'm sorry, like these days $10,000 is a hell of a lot of money, and yeah. I don't care how hardcore you are as a professional. Yeah. You know, $10,000 add-ons right, left, and center, it's just really hard to get a return on investment on them, and and unless you are some rich billionaire, and I'm afraid I'm not, you need to be able to make money from these things. And some of these things would be really good to have, but not at any price. And the stuff I'm seeing at Blackmagic, I mean, I can make money from them. And I'm sorry that that's just, you know, where it's at for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would have loved to have seen a slightly different ergonomically, oh, less you. ergonomically yeah. challenged, for, if you're going to have a 4K digital cinema camera. I would have loved if it didn't follow form factor of the other equally. But I would say we, used, we put a rig on it from wooden camera. Yeah, and it was kick ass with yeah. a wooden camera rig. Yeah, I mean, I can. You know, there's a considerable investment in everyone who's made all those uh, accessories, and it makes sense not to go reinventing the wheel. But did the wheel have to be a square to start tetrahedron with. Yeah. or whatever it is? Okay, so that that would be my rhombus. equipment manufacturer of the show. Do you want to pick an equipment manufacturer of the show? Uh well. I, I would have to say the same. I know it's boring to go and to, to pick that, but yeah, I think it's object of the show is movie, movie, however you want to pronounce it, uh, for so many reasons, for from timing, from marketing, from reinventing, taking taking a wheel and turning it into freaking supercharging it and and um, and uh, putting a badge on it and a price tag on it and getting it out there. For um, yeah, I'd have to it would have to be. I'm, I'm going to have to be boring and agree with you. Say black magic for 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 this manufacturer and maybe for your product. Yep. I, pinch yours. No, 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 no. Actually, I mean, like Moby is really, really great, and by only by it's the you, thing that inspires me, right? It's the thing that I can look at it and go, "Wow, I can use that." And I started to think of incredibly creative ways how to use it. it inspires you want to, to want to create interesting shots not for interesting shots sake i can see that you can pull yeah. off some very clever stuff not just not not just to be fancy okay you i've know? got to say though that's um, the sign of a good thing i think yeah. if it's inspiring you to go grab it and do something new yeah look i, I do agree with you except for i've got to say nothing there was nothing i saw at the show that i found myself leaning into more that when I first saw those Cook anamorphic 70, those, uh, 
40 mil lenses. Like mm. that was the thing that I actually went, I have this kind of internal barometer and it's this kind of leaning, like I find myself moving towards it before I can even register what I'm looking at. And I yeah. looked at that and I went, ooh. And I started moving towards it. And I've got to say, it was not because it was perfect. It was just because it was so epic. Yeah. And um, it, it's not cheap. So that's the thing. But you've already picked the movie. I'm going to say that um, just I would love, I would just freaking love to be on a you know major show doing a ton of new anamorphic stuff. Yeah. With really, really good glass where you could, um, mm. but not so bulky that it just completely bogs down the production. Yeah. I mean, I I love this push for anamorphic, and I love the fact that we're now getting cameras that are gonna, uh, including red, that we're gonna make 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 the most of of that glass and make the most of the the beauty of that imagery. Yeah. Not necessarily from a retro point of view, but because it's a really nice way to yeah. shoot. It's a clever, interesting way of being able to frame things. Not just because of the ratio, but because of what that unusual combination of a stre- a lens that's stretched one direction only. Can, can, does for you it's just a very interesting way to be able to almost play out an entire scene in one shot it's a very and I interesting think way to think for both of us it's because so of what it's going to do on the screen yeah because i don't think you can get i don't think you can really truly go mental over a bit of back-end stuff no that's more efficient i mean that's not that's great but you can't you know it's like you know you date the stuff that was the back end but yeah. you're going to marry the stuff that makes the picture look gorgeous you know what I mean like it's you want to spend the rest of your life with a mm. I, I just find that um, that there is a bunch of stuff that's really good and there's some stuff we haven't talked about obviously that um, is good stuff at the back end but you want you know what drives the industry is just really good looking pictures yeah and that I've got to say pictures with character with, yeah think. but I've, I've got to say those shots that were suddenly inside your reach yeah. On both the movie that we saw from Vincent Lafayette, but also this aerial one that I was referring to, which yeah. made things look like they were on the kind of budget of The Hobbit. And that's a compliment. I mean, you know, it was like really huge production value. It was just stunning. So, yeah. It, it is. Um, now, of course, what's going to be even better is seeing some of these tools once people uh, more talented than me have got a chance to spend about a year with them. And produce some really, really interesting films. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think, and I think we're still yet to see some. If you imagine the whole anamorphic thing becoming more accessible, I mean, it's terrific that we're getting more and more choices. But once that, I'd love to see what the more the indie people get. Once like you could put a get, forty mil accessible. You could put a forty mil on your epic on your shoulder in the back of a car. Yeah, and be filming something from the back or the front seat to the back seat, or vice versa. Mm. It was that small. It was that. Yeah, and it's not like you've got a small camera. I just success. Yeah, and just the fact that it goes with cameras aren't getting any bigger; they're getting smaller. No. And mm. yeah, the lenses need to. Do it. The cameras are getting cheaper, more accessible, better imagery, raw. We want the we want the the poc, You know the uh, the indie the anamorphics for the rest of us as well. So, but uh, you know, I think it's 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 the fi- We're moving away from the simplicity of of uh shallow focus slidery kind of um dslr stuff and moving more towards the finer end we're getting getting better imagery getting raw stuff getting better glass 
people are starting to move past the simplicity of, of the the birth of rebirth of of this and now moving into yeah i will also say we, we haven't really discussed lights enough and maybe we'll discuss it in another ep because there was a significant improvement in the quality of the lights um especially yeah. in the leds i was a little bit sort of glazed over by a lot there were so many of them i kind of glazed and they're all fairly similar and there wasn't any kind of no, there oh my some god nice moments no there were some nice you might have dug a bit deeper anyway, we'll do that another time we've got to get going because okay. we're going to very a, quick um, congratulations to Paul atchell who won the prime award for innovation for deep x for his underwater uh epic uh system which we've and discussed on this show before. Well, I've shot with it in the yeah. shot in Tasmania, and but, couldn't get a nicer guy. But yes, he won uh, the one of the few innovation awards there at at NAB. Congratulations! Really, really nice guy. We got to get going because we've got a chance to go and hear um, the uh, DOP from Mad Max Fury Road talk. Yes, John Seal and David Burr, who shot second unit, are uh, doing an ACS evening, having a chat about it. Interesting for them to actually start chatting before the film's actually released. Before it's even in post. I'm yeah. sure they're not going to show any footage. But no, no. I'd be really interested still. to hear what they thought of, because they had, uh, what, six Alexas on that? Uh, right. And, and, well, and a whole rigs. bunch of other stuff, and Epic, and uh, Canon 5Ds. crazy little uh, Olympus OM5s, OMDs. Oh, really? Nuts. So, so anyway, um, we're going to... That'll be a very proper little chat. We are going to... Not crash. We've been invited to um, a talk that they're giving a kind of fireside chat. So we're going to head off to that. We'll um, talk about it next time at the show. Thank you, Jason, so much. Thanks, Mike. Jason, of course. Thank is you, everybody we said at, saw at the show. Thank you for saying hi. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching on the day. Record numbers. Oh, yeah, it was astounding. I mean, really astounding. Like tens of thousands of people were watching the um, the live broadcast. Hey, um, I was going to say, uh, Wingrove is Jason's uh, Twitter handle. Yep. Mine is uh, Mike Seymour. Um, it's a great place to follow along with what's going on. We tend to um, post a bunch of stuff, not necessarily the same stuff. And um, But, of course, you can see uh, all the stuff we've been discussing at fxguide.com where the show notes are downloadable uh, with lots of pickies from the show. And I want to thank, in particular, um, the team here out of Chicago uh, from FX Guide who did a spectacular job behind the scenes. Also, um, Jim here from the uh, Sydney office at the live event and, of course, my business partners, uh, John and Jeff, who, uh, of course, uh, you know, make everything possible. And really, the FX Guide Live thing, I was like a innocent bystander that happened to get in front of the camera occasionally. Um, it, <laughs> John ran nearly the whole thing. Yeah, uh, they relished uh, it. It was insane trying to put that thing together. Six hours of a live show um, yeah. is, uh, yeah. And I've got to say, there's a couple of times, obviously, there were some hiccups like you would expect on a live show. But actually, what makes it fun, I think. It's live. Yeah. Also, I want to thank the Diamond Brothers. Um, yes. Who yeah. are just, uh, you guys may know them. Uh, we've spoken to them, obviously, on this show, but they are some of the best um, uh, guys in terms of directing and cinematography out of New York. If you need to do anything in that area, uh, they are great. Yes, Diamond and Brothers. They were, yes, and a lot of help and timeless and, and sort of had a lot of, lot of time for us and a lot for me on the show floor and introing. If I didn't know it, they, they introed me or vice versa. So it's the way that sort of kind of the way that sort of infrastructure works there really. It's everyone, everyone knows someone and you just kind of work together and, and get those hookups happening. So thank you everybody and yeah, th- and thanks for their help on, on the live show too. All right, well that's it for this week. Um, we'll catch you on the flip side in, in a couple of weeks time. Um, until then, thanks so much for being with us. See you. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. 
Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.